0: We're going to talk this morning a little bit about why we can boldly approach God's throne. It is Mother's Day this morning, so I want to say happy Mother's Day to you all. I'm glad that you're here. I need to tell you that in the first service, so for those of you that don't, don't know, my mom attends a community Life church, so she's here pretty much every Sunday. In the first service, she was here, and I, and I, I, saw, I said, Mom, I just want to say happy Mother's Day. And people actually applauded. And so then I said to her, well, I hope you appreciated that because that was your gift, so for those of you that can't do that, get your mother a gift, okay? But for me, that made it easy, so my shopping is done. I, I know it's Mother's Day. We're actually not going to talk this morning about mothers. The sermon is not about mothers or a Mother's Day theme. We are going to talk about a couple of things that mothers desperately need, however, mercy and grace. And uh, I got a couple of amens in the first service as well, and uh, certainly a couple in this service. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4 this morning, so if you get your Bibles and turn there, uh, while you're turning, I want to let you know that we are going to talk about mercy and grace. We're going to be talking about the fact that we can boldly approach God's throne. In order to do that, though, we we need to spend a little time in the Old Testament. We we really need to spend a little time unpacking and understanding some, some, some pretty deep theological meaning in Scripture, but hopefully we can do that quickly and concisely, and in a way that that helps the passage this morning make sense. So Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, these verses say this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The first two verses that I read, 14 and 15, they they talk about Jesus being our high priest. There's a good chance that not a lot of us know a lot about the high priest in the Old Testament. What did he do? Why did he exist? And so I want to spend a little bit of time this morning talking about that. And and I've used your sermon notes. If you get your sermon notes out, they're unusual this morning because they're a little bit more like a sermon book than sermon notes. Uh, But we're not going to go through these. Uh, There's nothing for you to write this morning in your sermon notes because I ran out of space. Um, But there is information that I want you to be able to, to follow a little bit. There's a diagram we'll look at later uh, and then there's just some information I want you to be able to take home and, uh, and really learn more about what we're going to be talking about this morning uh, in, just a, in just a few moments. I'll point that, that out to you. In order to learn more about priests and the high priest, we need to go all the way back to the beginning, really to the beginning of Scripture, the beginning of mankind. The Scripture tells us that God created man and woman, and He had a perfect relationship with them says he came and he walked with them in the garden. They had a a friendship and a companionship. It was a relationship. It was perfect. But then, as most of you know, something happened. Adam and Eve, they ate of the one fruit they were not allowed to eat of in the garden. That's called the fall of mankind. And so, because of that act of sin, that act of rebellion, that disobedience, that perfect relationship that mankind had with God was broken. Sin had driven a wedge between God and mankind. There was now separation between the two. And in order to, <clears throat> excuse me, in order to solve that problem, there needed to be a mediator, someone to go between God and man. And so God, very early in Scripture, creates a group of men, or he designates a group of men called priests. And there's many things that the priests did, and if you look at your sermon notes on that second page, it just says, information regarding priests, information regarding the high priest. So there's some verses of scripture there. There's actually a, a link to a, a, a website that will give you even more information so that you can understand a little bit more about priests and high priests. All I'm going to say this morning is that high priests had specific duties. They performed sacrifices, the, the priest did. The high priest had one specific thing that he did on one day of the year that we're going to talk about. This morning, he had to go into a place called the Holy of Holies and perform some specific acts as the high priest. And that's important for us to understand what's happening in Hebrews. If you look at your sermon notes, then the very first page, there's a thing here that is called the Tabernacle Complex. We know a lot about the tabernacle because in Exodus 25 to 30, there's very detailed information given about the tabernacle. This is certainly a simplistic view. In fact, everything I'm saying to you about priests and the high priest and the tabernacle, it's a a real short version. You spend a couple hours on this. We're not going to do that. But what I want you to know is that priests spent time in the courtyard and in the holy place, you see those designated there, offering burnt sacrifices burning incense. And they had some other duties as well. If you look at the next picture that I want to show you, this is just an artist's rendition of what the tabernacle may have looked like in the midst of the Israelite camp when they were wandering in the desert for 40 years. So if we go back now to that other diagram, you will see that you have a courtyard, you have the holy place, and then you have the holy of holies. And that's what I want us to to talk about here for just a, a few moments. Remember, we're not doing this because I'm really interested in you knowing Old Testament history, right? It's important to know Old Testament history, but I want to make sure that we understand it so that we understand Hebrews and what the author to the Hebrews is saying to them and also to us this morning, okay? So the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. In the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant, you can read about that uh, in uh, Exodus 25, 17 to 22. On top of the Ark of the Covenant, there was a thing called the mercy seat. And it was really, the, really where the presence, God's earthly presence resided on the mercy seat. And so once a year, the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies, and, and he would perform specific rituals and acts on and around that mercy seat. Here's what I want you to know. The Holy of Holies was separated from the rest of the tabernacle by a thick veil, a thick curtain. Now, we don't know exactly what this curtain was made of. We just know it, was a, it wasn't sort of curtains that you use at your house. It was a, a very thick tapestry. Uh, some ancient Jewish tradition says it was the breadth of a man's hand. So that was about this distance from here to here, width-wise. So it would have been very heavy, very thick. There was separation there. The high priest would go into this place, he would offer the blood of of animals, and he would offer sacrifice, he would sprinkle in a very specific way that's, that's talked about in Leviticus 16, if you want to read about exactly what he did, he would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat in a specific way, first to cover his own sin, and then to cover the sins of the people for that year. It was called the Day of Atonement. Their sins were being covered on the mercy seat. They were being atoned for. And really what it allowed for was the people to continue to have a relationship with God for that year. It would cover over their sins for the year. The simplistic view. Okay, why is that important? Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 4. The high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. He would mediate between God and man, right? Now, in verse 14 of this passage in Hebrews, the author says, Jesus is our great high priest. Immediately, the, the folks that received this letter would have understood that what the Old Testament high priest used to do, Jesus now had done. The Old Testament high priest was the mediator. Now, Jesus was the mediator between them and and God. Jesus is the mediator between us and God. Not only that, the Old Testament high priest would take the blood of animals and sprinkle it on that mercy seat. Jesus shed his own blood. He not only was our high priest, he was our sacrifice as well. He shed his blood that we might have access to God. He became our perfect sacrifice once and for all. So that the the sacrifices don't have to happen on a yearly basis like they did in the Old Testament. He was the sacrifice once and for all. The the Hebrews understood that when they they read that. The author then goes on to to mention that after Jesus did that, he ascended into heaven where he still is today. And then he encourages them and us to, to hold firm to our faith in Christ. He's really saying Christ is worthy of our faith because of what he has done. He has taken our penalty. He has paid our price. Elsewhere in Scripture, we see that it's not just that, that Jesus did this sort of for everyone, but re- he did it so that it was available to everyone. And we have to understand as individuals, we have to come to that place in our lives where we say, I understand that Jesus did that for my sin. And we confess our sin. We ask for forgiveness of our sin. We repent from our sin. And Scripture says then we're able to have eternal life and abundant life and a rich relationship with Jesus Christ. That's verse 14. How long do you think this is going to take? Let's look at verse 15, because another important point is made in verse 15. He goes on to explain, the writer does, that Jesus is a high priest who is able to empathize with our weakness. Now, if you want to have some some fun, say the word empathize a lot during the week. Uh, when you're practicing, to see if you can get it right. It came out, emphasize, it came out, but empathize. He knows what it's like, is what that's saying, right? He can empathize with our weakness. That's what the writer is saying. He goes on to say, he was tempted in every way that we are tempted. with One major difference, Jesus never sinned. He lived a perfect life. The reason this is so critically important, and I want to spend again a couple of minutes on this theological fact, is I think a lot of people that that I've talked to, they understand in in some way that Jesus was God, but we struggle with understanding that Jesus was human, completely. Look at Ephesians 2. So if you still have your Bibles open, you just turn back a page, or it might be on that same page, Ephesians 2, chapter 17 and 18. Look at what it says. For this reason, he, he's talking about Jesus, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I want to make clear that Scripture is not saying that Jesus was 50% God and 50% man. Jesus, Scripture says, was 100% God and 100% man. So in your sermon notes, I've taken advantage of your sermon notes again, I've, given you, I've written a couple paragraphs there. I've given you lots of verses. I've given you some links on the back that demonstrate from Scripture that Jesus, it says, was fully human, but fully God as well. And I would encourage you to, to take some time to look over that to, so that you can understand more fully the amazing truth of Scripture. He was, he was divine, but he was human. Why is that important? Because if Jesus wasn't fully human, then he really doesn't understand our weakness. Then he really doesn't know what it's like to be tempted as we are tempted. It's critical that we understand that he was fully human. Human, We know Scripture says that Jesus got tired, Jesus was thirsty, He got hungry. We certainly know that He felt a range of, of human emotions. We know that he, he felt joy, He laughed at times. We know that He felt the pain, physical pain He felt, He felt the, the pain of betrayal, He felt compassion, He, he felt grief, he, he cried at one point, tears of sorrow. Jesus understands completely what it is to be human. That's critically important for us. So because of those two facts in verse 14 and 15. So verse 14, Jesus is our high priest. He was our perfect sacrifice. He is our mediator. Verse 15, Jesus is our high priest. He knows what it's like to be human. He understands exactly what it's like to be like us. It's because of that that in verse 16, the author says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. It's what the song said. Boldly I approach God's throne. The author is saying, we have a high priest who lived a perfect, sinless life. We have a high priest who paid our penalty. We have a high priest who knows what it's like to be human. So we can approach God's throne because Jesus has given us access. Look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26. Hebrews 7, 26. I'm going to read a couple of verses to you. Talking, continuing to talk about the high priest. It says this, "...such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself." For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness. That's what the Old Testament was like. But now it says the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, that's Jesus Christ, who has been made perfect forever. And then chapter 8, verse 1 says, Now the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. What the author is saying is that our great high priest has made it possible for us to approach God. Think about it. In the Old Testament, the high priest walked into the holy of holies, sprinkled the blood of animals on this mercy seat to to cover over sin for a year. Jesus enters into God's presence, sheds his own blood, gives us free access, pays the penalty for our sin once and for all. And then this says, he is not just in a a holy of holies, a a place created by man. He sits in heaven at God's right hand, in God's presence. We have access because he has given us access. Listen to Ephesians 3.18. It says this, For through him, Jesus, this is Paul writing, he's talking about Jesus and he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. And he says, for through Jesus, through Him, we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access to the Father. We have access. Many of you may know uh, about this part of the story, Matthew 27:51. I think Matthew 27:51 tells about what happened when Jesus died. I've told you about the tabernacle. I've told you about this veil, right? Well, the tabernacle was clearly in the wilderness. Later, later in history, there's a temple built, and it has the same layout, really, that you see here. There's a courtyard, there's a holy place, there's a holy of holies. Um, the, the temple was changed a couple of different times in history. When Jesus died, that still existed, and there was a veil, a very thick, again, veil in place. And this is what Matthew 27, 51 says about that veil. When Jesus died, at the moment of his death, it says at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. It was rent in two, I think the King James says. It was separated. And now there was nothing separating God from mankind. There was free access. We have access to God because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That's what the Bible teaches. What it it teaches is because of that, We no longer have any need for animal sacrifice. We no longer have any need for priests to perform rituals or ceremonies. We don't have any need for us to go to someone and have them do something on our behalf before God. We have access. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, when I started to think about access this week, several stories uh, from my life came to mind. And I don't know, maybe it's just my life, but the more memorable are, are ones when I did not have access to something I wanted or uh, someone I wanted. So Grace and I started talking about this, and and we remembered a story that happened years ago. Uh, In fact, enough years ago that I can tell the story now. Uh, My son, who is now 25, uh, was 11 at the time. That's a long time. That's enough time. I think the scars have healed. Um, We are driving, Grace and I, with our two boys from North Carolina to Butler. And we needed gasoline, and uh, we could not find a place. And so we got off, and we just started looking for a gasoline station and we found the gasoline station. And Grace said, as we were talking about this week, you know, it was in the middle of nowhere. And I said, I think it was on the edge of nowhere. I mean, there was nothing around in this place. But we got there, and we were happy. We got gas. And then we pulled up, and we parked, and we were going to go into the little convenience store. And my son, 11-year-old Brandon, said he was going to stay in the car. I don't remember, but probably to read a book because that's what he always did, and it's what he still does. He's read more books in his life than I'll ever read. So he stayed in the car. Great. We're in the convenience store for probably a little too long, and Brandon walks in. So I don't know if your brain works like mine does, but I'm like, I hope it doesn't. But um, I'm like, you know, this could be a problem, and sort of, I'm trying to put together facts, and the thought that is in my head is, where are the car keys? Well, since I'm telling you this story, you probably guessed that the car keys are in the car, which is locked. We're about four hours from Butler. It's okay. We always have a spare set of keys. They're in Grace's purse, which is in the car, (laughs) which is locked. So um, this is where I come out and I tell you that as a pastor, how well I responded. Um, We're not going to get into that part of the story. Um, What I will tell you is we went out and uh, there are the keys. I mean, they are, they're like right there. I can see them. I mean, I could literally just, they're just not far away, but I can't get to them. I don't have access. I mean, this is a car that we could not get into. You cannot get into it. We had tried, you know, a year or so earlier, we locked our keys in the car. Can't get them, and we're four hours from home. Did I tell you that it was a Sunday afternoon? You know how many locksmiths work on Sunday afternoon? Zero. So I'm like, we can break the window. We We just couldn't get in. We didn't have access. So frustrating. Now, here's the thing I have to tell. Um, For those of you that are like probably 20, like you've probably never locked your keys in the car because you can't even lock your keys in a car. Half of you don't even have keys. You get a little button you push. That's it. (laughs) Okay. But 14 years ago, the Thomases did not have that technology. We had keys. They were locked in the car. We couldn't call someone to open it. We didn't have an app to open it. They were done. They were locked in the car. We did not have access. That was the situation that we had with God before Jesus Christ died on the cross. We didn't have access. We were locked out. Now, here's what I need to tell you. Here's the God, the God part of that story, which Grace uh, wants me to tell. The person who worked at the convenience store literally had a personal friend who had, you know, had a Slim Jim to get us in, okay? That's not, it's not something you eat. So it's a thing to get you in the car. Now, I don't know if he was a police officer, a fireman, or perhaps a crook, but he had had a way to get us in. So it only took us about an hour total from that moment to he arrived, he got us in, we were on our way. But for that period of time, we didn't have access. We couldn't get in. But because of what Jesus Christ has done, we now have access. The doors are always open. They're never locked. We never need a key. We have access to God. One of the questions that I want to leave you with this morning is, how are you using your access? What are you doing with the access that you have to God the Father? It's an important question. One of the things this passage points out to us in verse 16 is that we can use that access to receive mercy and grace in our time of need. Mercy and grace. If you think about it, mercy and grace, they are, they are the foundations on which our relationship with God is built. Mercy, because we don't get what we deserve. We don't get that judgment. We receive mercy. And grace, grace says we don't get what we deserve. In fact, we get a, a relationship with a loving, caring, heavenly Father. That's amazing grace. The story of the gospel. So, mercy and grace are, are foundational. But Scripture makes clear that in this relationship that we have with God, that's not all that we receive from Him. Paul, when he's writing to the Philippians in verse four, sorry, chapter 4, verse 19, says this, God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Jesus Christ. Everything you need, all your needs will be met. So we have access. We can receive grace and mercy when we need it. We can receive grace and mercy in the time that we are being tempted in those difficult times of our lives. But more than that, we can receive love and compassion and understanding and encouragement and strength. That's what this verse is saying. All that we need, we can receive from the Lord. I don't think we even have to to ask ourselves why we need those things. We need them because life can be difficult sometimes. Take take today. Today's Mother's Day. Again, it's a day to celebrate moms. But in a congregation our size, do you understand that there are married couples who desperately want to be parents, but who can't be? Do you understand that there are moms here this morning, and dads who have had children, but those children are gone. They, they either, they lost them in the womb, they lived for just a short period of time, or maybe, maybe they lived a pretty long life, but you're a parent and you're still here and your child is gone. It's difficult. If we're honest, we know, again, in a, in a, in a crowd this size, in a congregation this size, there are some who, who, whose mom, because of the struggles that she was having, the issues that she was going through in her life, maybe some of the issues in her past, she really wasn't the mom. That she needed to be. And, and you're, you may still be struggling with some of that impact. That is a reality of life. Even on a day like Mother's Day, there can be difficulties and there can be pain. It may be that you had a wonderful relationship with your mom, but this is the first Mother's Day without her. And that fact brings that grief and that mourning, those emotions uh, to a heightened state in your life. It's not just Mother's Day, right? Life can be difficult. It can be challenging. It may be that you're here this morning and and you don't know where you're going to, how you're going to pay rent, where rent's coming from this month, and it's halfway through the month. It may be that you need a job. You know, you have access to God, you can ask. It may be that you need wisdom because you have two or three job offers and you need to know which one to take. Again, God will give that when we need it. It may be this morning you're just discouraged or brokenhearted or lonely. When I say lonely, maybe it's because you really desperately want to be married, but you aren't. Or maybe you are married, but you're fearful because you feel like unless God does something amazing your marriage isn't going to last. Here's what I want you to know, no matter your situation. It may be that no one else in this place, no other person, understands how you're feeling at this moment, what you're going through right now, or what you have gone through. But I want you to hear that God does know. Listen to Psalm 139. It says this, Lord, you've examined me and know all about me. You know when I sit down and when I get up. You know my thoughts before I think them. You know where I go and where I lie down. You know everything I do. Lord, even before I say a word, you already know it. You are all around me, in front and in back. You've put your hand on me. Your knowledge is amazing to me. It is more than I can understand. The writer of Hebrews is saying that Jesus Christ, because of his sacrifice, has given us access to a God who knows all about us and has chosen to love us in spite of knowing all about us. And we can approach him and enter into his presence anytime, anywhere. That's the amazing story of the Bible. And it's what the author of Hebrews is pointing out. We can come and in in the midst of our difficulty, we can ask for grace and mercy. We can ask for the other things that we need. We can also enter into his presence and just give him praise. We can enter into his presence and give him worship because we have access. We can enter into his presence and just thank him or just sit quietly asking him to speak to us. We can enter into his presence anytime, anywhere. And we can ask him, for what we desire. Now, here's something I want you to know that's very important. He does not always give us what we ask for. Sometimes, instead, He gives us what we need. And if we're willing to accept what we need rather than what we want, this access is an amazing gift, an amazing privilege. I really want to give you this morning an opportunity to use your access. So in just a moment, I'm going to, for about 30 seconds this morning, I'm going to ask each one of you to bow your heads and, and enter into God's presence because that's how we do it. And again, I want to encourage you to tell him what you're going through, how you're feeling. Now, I just told you he already knows. So you might say, well, why, why am I doing that? Doing that puts us really in a, in a place of humility. It, it opens us up to be willing to hear from the Lord and to really receive what we need, not necessarily what we want. And again, I just want to give you that opportunity right now. Here's, here's what I want you to do. Just where you, where you sit, bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to just silently tell God either how you feel and, and, and how you are feeling and, and what it is you want. Or maybe you want to just enter into his presence and give him praise. And thank him for what he's done for 30 seconds. And then I'm going to close in in prayer. Take that time silently and pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. We give you praise for the sacrifice that you offered that we might have access to receive grace and mercy and wisdom and strength and love. We praise you. And I ask that you would help us to use our access well. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 30 seconds seems like a long time when it's really quiet, doesn't it? I know that a lot of you do that dozens of times a day. But I also know there's probably many of you who haven't done it in years or maybe ever. As believers, we have access to God, to His throne. We have that access because Jesus paid our penalty and He created a way. I want to tell you that in just a moment we're going to be dismissed and if you need prayer it's interesting because we can pray as I just said we have access but there's many examples in scripture Jesus often asked his disciples to pray for him pray with him so if you'd like someone to pray with you or for you for some specific thing come forward there'll be folks here to pray with you if you don't need that then I just want you to remember to reach out to your mom to let her know you appreciate her this day Have a wonderful day. Lord bless you. If you need prayer, we'll be up front.